with you every day. You're with us every day. But God, it's great to be together, um, to worship you, to to love up on you, God. Um, uh, you deserve all our love. You give us all of your love, Father. I pray that you will be within our presence this morning. God, I pray that this message will be yours, um, not, um, not based on opinion, but based on your word. I pray that your spirit will be in this place. Father, I pray that your... Uh, your love, your grace, your mercy will be upon us this morning. Father, uh, be with those who aren't here this morning. Uh, be with them um, wherever they are, at home, in different places. I pray that they will be uh, watching us online and uh, worshiping with us, Father. Father, we love you. We thank you. We are grateful for you, Father. I pray that we um, we will... Uh, just come to a place in our lives where we understand our true identity in you. For your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 So we're talking today about believed identity. You know, we started this series with deceived identity, um, fighting who the world tells us we are. Then on Easter, like I said, Nathan uh, talked about received identity, um, understanding who God tells us we are. Right. And so today's lesson is believed identity moving toward the person that God intended for us to be. Right. And so our identity, you know, who God intended for us to be is a journey. Right. We're taking this journey. We're going on this journey. And identity, like most truth, is something to be discovered. Right. We have to discover this and it will take some effort. In fact, it's takes hard work. It's not easy. You know, if you've ever worked out or played a sport competitively, there is a lot of training and there's a lot of hard work that is involved and that goes into that, right? And there is a pain and your muscles burn, right? And and it's uncomfortable and you want to quit. There's when when your muscle starts to burn and when you're gasping for air, you want to quit. You want to say, you know what, the end, this is the end for me, right? I know some people on their weight loss journeys, right? They're like, look, I would rather the donuts. I am done. I was talking to a brother the other day, and he was going to start his, his uh, counting calories, and he says, bro, I got to finish the donuts first. I said, amen. I get it. Right? And it, it's all good. And so it's uncomfortable. But it's all, you know, the, the, is, it, but you got to ask the question, is all the hard work worth it? Absolutely it is. That's the journey. But you can't really tell someone that the hard work is worth it. Right? You can't really say, hey, bro, the hard, or sis, the hard work is worth it. Usually that doesn't communicate well, right? Usually when you say it to somebody, it doesn't communicate well that the hard work is worth it. Let's, let's run three miles every morning. It's, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. It's going to be so worth it in a month. No, I'm good. Can I have another helping, please? Can I have another another pizza, slice of pizza? 
Bro, let's go to the gym every morning. Let's let's lift as, lift as much weight as possible. And let's let's work out even twice a, twice a day. Until it burns. Claudette and I were watching a show where they were working out until they were throwing up. And it was like, oh, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be so worth it in a month. No, I'm good. It's all right. It has to be experienced rather than told. It has to be done. You know, Christian author Tim Keller talks about the glory self. And what he says is, he says that your glory self is the person that God had in mind when he created you. Dallas Willard says the reward God gets in his relationship with you is the person you become. You know, I'm so proud of my son, right? And and this may not sound like a, a big deal to many of us here, but when my son does certain things around the house without prompting, like putting away the dishes or making his bed or wakes up on his own in the morning on time, takes a shower, gets dressed, comes downstairs, and he's ready and waiting to go to CC or ready and waiting to go to church and and without any prompting at all, or when he gets all his his, his school work's work done and it's done well in a timely manner and there's no prompting. I don't have to say, Travis, go do this. Travis, go do that. As a parent, I feel a certain joy. I feel a certain reward when I see the person he is becoming along the journey of life. I'm not saying it happens every day. I'm just saying I feel... I feel great about that. And you know, this is how God feels when we become who he intended for us to be. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 7. Like who, like who can we be? It says, now if, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in the letters on stone came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory transitory though it was will not the ministry of the spirit be even more glorious if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious now much how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? You know, this is an interesting passage. I mean, it's it's somewhat... It's somewhat tricky and difficult to understand if you don't understand what happened in Exodus and in, in, in the Old Testament, right? But here we have this contrast, this contrast in covenants, the old versus the new covenant, ministries, right? It's contrasting ministries, law versus spirits. It's contrasting glory. It's contrasting this transitory or fading glory versus a lasting glory glory 
This glory that is that is fading, it's going away. That the glory that we see in the Old Testament that is that is going away versus a glory that is lasting forever. The glory that we see in the law, which which was written that was fading, because guess what? We're human beings. And a law is created with with somewhat rules, right? And as human beings, the Israelites are just disobedient. And so these rules, it wasn't the, the law's fault. It was disobedience on the Israelites' fault. And so, so it was glorious in some ways, but because they were so disobedient, that law, that glory, would eventually fade. And then we have this righteousness of Jesus that was a lasting glory. You know, but it also addresses two ways of thinking and are connecting with God. It's a discipleship through legalistic works or a discipleship through connection to Jesus. And this is what we'll explore most today, this connection to Jesus. You know, the old covenant ministry, like I said, it it brought death because of sin. But still, this ministry brought some glory, right? And there is certainly glory through works, but it fades. It's not lasting. Now, I don't want you guys to get mad at me. I know that Dan is back there. Don't get mad at me. But when Tom Brady won the Super Bowl a couple years ago, it was glorious. Right, bro? It was glorious. It was a 31-9 to thrashing. But the next year, this year, he lost to, the next year he lost to Matt Stafford and the L.A. Rams in the playoffs. And there was no glory for him anymore. And he was this year an afterthought. Sorry, sorry, Dan. So take that same feeling, Dan, take the same feeling and apply it to works. It is the same with the works that we do. The, the, the fact The fact that the Bible says that this ministry brings death. This ministry brings death. When you're works-oriented, it will bring fatigue and eventually drain you emotionally and spiritually because it's hard to sustain. When you're all about just the work, you're going to be drained. When you're all about what you're just doing, you can't sustain that. And you're going to get tired. So what should our mindset be? What does it mean to really have a relationship with Jesus? It's certainly not a checklist mindset. 
is certainly not a works mindset. A checklist Christianity can bring glory for a short time. That's what they did, quite frankly, in the Old Testament. That faded. It can bring glory for a short time, but it eventually brings death because it shows it shows you who you are not. You didn't pray enough. You didn't share enough. You weren't pure today. You weren't honest. And when you inevitably fail, it brings shame, guilt, and fear. Shame that you're not what you could be. Guilt about your sin and fear. Fear about your failure. I don't want a checklist Christianity. Our teens don't want a checklist Christianity. Our friends don't want and are not inspired by a checklist Christianity. Our friends we invite to church are not going to be inspired by a checklist Christianity. So what's the answer? What's the answer to rejecting this, rejecting this thinking and, and transforming to whom God has intended for you to become? 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18, it says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The answer is belief and surrendering to God. The answer is pulling away the veil and facing your shame, guilt, and fears head on. That's where the answer is. It's not in the works mentality. It's facing these things and facing who we are, facing our identities. You know, there's a cinematographer named Andy Casagrande, and he has a show in Discovery Channel called Shark Week. Almost everyone has seen a scene 
or something flash on your TV saying there's shark week coming up or something, right? And there's an interview that he has online where the interviewer asks, what do you do when a shark starts to swim towards you? What a question. His answer is counterintuitive, though. He says that he starts to swim toward the shark. Somehow this activates a defense mechanism in the shark's brain where the shark says to itself, this is not how prey behaves. And the shark backs down. The shark is used to prey swimming away and fleeing. But when you swim toward the shark, it negates the threat. I'm not going to try this, and I don't suggest you do either. But here's what here's here's the actual quote from the article. He says, "You can't swim away immediately because you're acting like prey and they're like, "Oh, cool. That's something I'm going to eat." The best thing that I've found to do sounds counterintuitive, but you swim right at them. You always keep eye contact, and you swim directly at the shark. And that seems to trigger a defense mechanism. Now, they're like, wait a second. Everything in the ocean swims away from me aside from orcas, which are known to occasionally kill white sharks. Everyone says, punch a shark in the nose. The problem with that is that water refracts and magnifies magnifies things. So if you go to punch a shark in the nose and you think its nose is right here, it's not. It's back here. And as you follow through, your hand goes straight in its mouth. Their eyes and their gills are the most sensitive things. But the reality is, if you don't act like like prey, they won't treat you like prey. You don't want to swim away while they're watching you. As they swim away, you swim away. And try to get back on the boat, open up a Red Bull, and say, oh, that was fun, and downplay it. You know, shame, guilt, and fear are the same. They're the same. They're used to terrorizing us and making us flee. But to face God with unveiled faces means we swim toward the shark. Authentic connection with God. Just as you are, bring your shame, your guilt, and your fear, and move towards God. It's been, it's been said that the strongest act of will is to surrender to God. That's the strongest act of will. Weakness means that we run from God. We need strong men and women in this church who will swim toward the shark and surrender our will to God. Surrender to God. Stop choosing money. 
The hope of a girlfriend, the hope of a boyfriend, family, vanity over God. This glory will fade. God takes full responsibility for the person that is fully committed to him. That's a quote from Charles Stanley. God takes full responsibility for the person that is fully committed to him. 2 Corinthians 4, we're jumping down to verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe, and therefore, what do we do? We speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefits. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. If you believe you will behave a certain way. There is fruit in belief. If you believe, you're going to behave a certain way. Same thing. If you don't believe, you're going to behave a certain way. Certain behaviors go hand in hand. You know, all my life, I've always been an introvert. Now, you guys may think that I'm mixing up what an introvert and extrovert is. But all my life, I've been an introvert. And when I became a disciple, I was an introvert. My tendency was, and, and probably always will be, to stand in the corner. I get in a crowded room of people that I don't know. My tendency is to go in the corner and survey. And survey who I don't want to talk to. Not survey who I want to talk to, but survey who I don't want to talk to. And usually, probably, my, my, my point of, um, or place to be while I survey is to be near an exit. That's me. I was so happy to be at Robert's uncle's funeral. Right? I learned so much about his uncle. It was great being there. But my, my place when I went to the funeral was in the back. I'm an introvert. There was an exit right there. That's just me. That's who I am. That's my place. But when I was asked to, to go into the ministry, and when I started to speak and interact more with people through studying the Bible with people and I grew more confident. And there was a part of me, little part of me, that got extroverted and got confident. I'm still an introvert. After today, when I go home, I want my space. For what I can tell you, I want my space. I want to be by myself. But again, there's a part of me that has grown some 
extrovert, extroverted tendencies, if you want to say that. And so I'm saying this because it all goes hand in hand, right? Because what? I believe. Not only do I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I believe I can do it, and I believe I need to be doing this. And it takes a whole lot out of me to do this. It saps my energy because this is contrary to who I am. But with God and the Holy Spirit, I can do this. When I get in front of people, somebody asked me, I think it was last week, I think it was Nathan who asked me if I'm nervous when I speak in front of a crowd. I say, yes, I am, because this is not me. Last Sunday, when I got in front of all those people at marriage retreat, I told them, I said, look, this is overwhelming. Because this is who I, this is not who I am. That's why I'm so glad my Sabbath is on a Monday after today. Because I need to chill and I need my time. Because this is not me, guys. But belief and what we do go hand in hand. If you believe, you will speak. But the Bible also says that the guilty people tend to be avoided. Have you ever have you ever approached someone unexpectedly and they're like, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. Like you just walk up and they're like, oh, I didn't do it. And you're like, dude, what is wrong with you? Like what happened? And they're like, oh, nothing. Right? The guilty always flee, man. Like, you can watch these videos on, 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 on YouTube with the little kids, and the parent comes to them with a half-eaten cupcake, and they're like, they got cupcake all over their face, and they're like, oh, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. Right? The guilty, they always flee. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee, though no one pursues. But like Paul said, the righteous are as bold as a lion. If you believe, you will speak. If you believe, you will be bold. You know, these behaviors go hand in hand. When I was, when I was young, right, like many of you, I believed, I believed in Santa, right? Okay, just making, just making sure. Aaron, I'm sorry, bro. You may want to step outside for a second. Um... And I would, I would wait until I, it was time to go to sleep, and I would, I would leave food for him. I would, I would also believe in the tooth fairy, right? And, and I would leave my, my tooth under my pillow, and the first thing in the morning would, would go ahead and check under, under my pillow for money. To believe is to act as if it were true. I believe my wife loves me. I believe my wife ain't going to kill me. Right? Amen. Amen. I believe, right? In, in, 
I, I, and in her trust, I tell her my passwords. I, I give her my, my money. I don't have a lot of it, but I, I give it to her. I share my bed with her. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I got corrected. She shares her bed with me. If, if you believe, you will speak. If you believe God re redeems us and loves us, you will encourage your brother. If you believe God redeems us and loves us, you will encourage your sister. If you believe God redeems us and loves us, you will invite your neighbor. If you believe God redeems us and loves us, you will inspire your children with your faith. If you don't believe, you will run for the hills. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For your light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an internal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Come on, y'all. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Do you get the connection here that I was talking about in the beginning about a fading glory and a lasting glory? What is seen is so fading. What is unseen lasts forever. It is eternal. So what do we fix our eyes on? We fix our eyes on what is unseen. And so lastly, to claim our identity in Christ, we don't lose hearts. We don't give up. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Sometimes the journey is long. Do you know what is worse than waiting on the Lord? Wishing you had. You know, Florence Chadwick, in 1952, many of you know her story. She set out to swim off Catalina Island, which was 26 miles across the Pacific Ocean to the main, mainland California. And she was going to swim from one to the other, 26 miles. And the weather was foggy that day. It was chilly. She could barely see the boats that were accompanying, accompanying her. And in one of the boats, her mom was there cheering her on. Right? And she swam for 15 hours, 15 hours to go from one to the other. And she swam and she swam and she swam and she says, I'm not going to stop. And her mom is cheering her on. And her mom is like, look, you're almost there. Don't stop. 
And because of exhaustion, because of physical and emotional exhaustion, she's like, I gotta stop. It's so much fog and I can't see. I don't know how close I am. I don't know where I am. Her mom's like, don't stop. Keep going. And she's like, I can't. I can't anymore. Until they lifted her onto the boat and they pulled her onto the boat. She gets on the boat. And they take her out of the water. And it wasn't until she was taken out of the water that she had realized she was less than a mile away from shore. After swimming 25 miles. At a news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Disciples don't give up. We persevere through a pandemic. We persevere. Through the threat of political and racial divide, we persevere. Through the battle against apathy and indifference, we persevere. Through the battle against entitlement and arrogance, we persevere. Through the battle against false teachers and demagogues, we persevere. Through illness and pain, we persevere. All these things create a fog in front of us where we can't see the shore. We feel like giving up because we can't stay afloat. We must persevere as Florence's mother did and help each other persevere. We have to encourage one another towards the shore. Our highest calling and most important identity is following Jesus Christ. It is fixing our eyes on Jesus. Florence said, if she could have only seen the shore, if she could have only fixed her eyes on shore, she would have she would not have stopped. Are you only seeing the fog? Or are you seeing the shore? Can you only see the light and momentary troubles? Or can you see Jesus? Let me ask you guys that again. Can you? Can you? Do you is your ability limited to only seeing light and momentary troubles? Or can you see Jesus, the Messiah? Because that is my fear, guys, that sometimes all we see is fog. All we see is fog. We all have grouping. I want to see more comments about seeing Jesus. I'm just being honest. I love group me. I love hearing from you guys. But let's post more about seeing Jesus. Don't lose heart. There is meaning behind your sacrifice and all the things you go through. There's meaning behind it. You know, 
Don Giuseppe Garardi, I'm sorry, Garardelli, was a 72-year-old Catholic priest in northern Italy. And COVID swept through his town. And eventually, Don Giuseppe got COVID. And he was so beloved by his town people that they took a collection and they got him, um, uh, uh, they pulled money together and got him a respirator. This was around around March of uh, 2020. And he chose to give that respirator to one of the younger men. And Don Giuseppe eventually died from COVID. You know, he gave to that town until his very end. And the person who wrote the article about him said that, you know, that they didn't know, know him personally, but it was safe to say he didn't make that sacrifice out of self, self-help or positive thinking, but rather because of the conviction that his sacrifice had in him. Out of an act of love and hope, he literally gave his life for his friends. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Does your sacrifice have Does your life have meaning? Does your identity have meaning? We don't lose hearts because as disciples, we know that our sacrifice has meaning. Let us not be deceived by who the world tells us we are. Let us receive who God tells us we are. And let us go out and believe we can be and achieve the person God intended for us to be. And to God be the glory. Amen.